Good morning. I'm Cody Shepherd. I'm the student pastor here, and I am blessed to be able to bring the word to you this morning. How many of you are lawn care people? Like, your lawn is immaculate. It is amazing. Uh, yeah, I know there's a few of you because I've seen your lawns. And uh, I don't know, you guys are great at regularly fertilizing, pulling the crabgrass, taking care, uh, you know, watering, making sure that there's no brown spots, you know. I, I don't know, I sometimes wonder if you guys tuck your lawn in at night or something. It's just, it's amazing. And I've got to be really honest is that I am not like that at all. I, I wish I was like that. I wish that I was really good at taking care of the lawn, but I'm not. And I've, I've found the best way for me to have a good lawn is to move to a place that has a good lawn, which is what we just did. Um, but even still, uh, you know, I can look out at it and I still notice imperfections. I still notice brown spots uh, that, that need watered. I see bare spots that need seeds in them, uh, seed on it. I need, uh, need to fertilize uh, sometimes I just get so bad, I just need to cut my grass, you know? And, uh, but it's so easy to look at our lawn and then look over at our neighbors or somebody else's and say, how do they do that? It is amazing because I just cannot do that. And we do that spiritually too, don't we? Sometimes we, you know, really, we all know what our spiritual, our life lawns look like. And we can see the, the brown spots of mistakes and, and bad choices. We see the areas that need seeded and, and life brought to them. And we see crabgrass of sin that's just creeping in that we haven't taken care of yet. And it's so easy to, to do that and to look at our lives and then compare it to other people's lives and just wonder how they have it all together. Social media is, is an, a good example of this, isn't it? I, I like the video. It was really good. But... You know, social media is a storefront of people's lives. It's what we want people to see about us. And so we post the things that we want people to buy into. However, many times we try to, we try to hide the things that uh, we don't want people to see or know about. And then, yet still, we compare our lives to other people and what they post. We think that they have it all together, that, they, um, that their life looks so good. Social media can be a pretty toxic mirror, can't it? It's a very inaccurate represent, representation of real life. We see the storefronts of other people's lives, and, and we want that, but we just can't seem to get it. Columnist Bob Sorokanich says this, Ultimately, Facebook is a narcissistic playground where the best, the funniest, the most charming aspects of our lives are publicized, and the boring stuff, the beige that is most of our daily grind, almost never gets posted. All those walls are edited at some level, and that makes them, at best, a deformed mirror image of real life, or at worst, nothing more than a fictional movie of how we want people to see us. In simpler words, the grass is always greener on the other side, until you get there and realize it's because of the manure. <laughs> I would like to take a few moments to be honest, and, uh, and just be honest about how my lawn looks in some areas, um, because it's not perfect. And yet at the same time, my goal is to hopefully help you guys be honest about how your life lawn works or looks and, um, and be free to be able to uh, be honest about that. And then I also want us to look at some scripture of what Paul encourages us to do to help change our minds. 
Here's, a, here's something about me is that I often compare myself to others instead of Christ. I'm guessing you guys do this too. Or in more real language, too often I find my value in other people's opinions of me or my opinion of myself. A while back, I bought a compass. You ever uh, had a compass? It, it's not one of those cheap ones but like where it just tells you the direction, but it's like a Boy Scout compass. If you've ever opened up one of those, it has a lid, and it's got like a little opening there and a wire. And what you do is you, you look at your map, you figure out where you need to go, you pull out your compass, you find the direction that you need to be going, and then you look through the lid, through this opening, and find a focal point that you need to be going towards. So that way you don't get distracted by everything around you. It's so easy to get distracted by things around us, isn't it? So important to find that focal point and to go towards that. This can happen in ministry and churches as well. It's so easy to look at other churches around and compare ourselves to other churches, uh, different ministries they're doing or different aspects of their church or the size of the church. And it's just an unhealthy thing to look at those things instead of really looking at what Christ has called us to do. And why do we compare ourselves? Why do we do this? It's because, I'll be honest, for me, a lot of times it's because I feel inadequate. I feel inadequate. I often feel like I don't know enough. I started my first full-time ministry in a small town in northwest Kansas of about 3,500 people. And I had followed a student pastor who was one of those energetic, dynamic personalities who was just a one-man show. He could do a lot of amazing things. Him and his wife pretty much did it. They had a few helpers, but for the most part, they were, they were the people who ran it. And I remember sitting in my office that very first, sun, uh, first day with, a, with an empty desk and, and just looking at it and just thinking, now what? How am I ever going to fill the shoes of such a dynamic person? And after three years and finding it hard for me to be able to get a ministry team together, I was just getting really frustrated And I remember on a Friday uh, after it was a very snowy day and after a board meeting, sitting in an office with the senior pastor and some elders and just talking for a little while and realizing that it just wasn't a good fit. And I just felt very uh, willing to add to that. Then they ended up hiring back the guy who had been before me. And I tell you what, it just, I just felt completely inadequate. I was young and I was alone and feeling very insecure in that moment. Have you guys ever felt that way? Just inadequate? Like you just didn't measure up? I ultimately am thankful I can look back and say that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. However, I did find myself continuing to compare myself to that student pastor and other student pastors I've, I've met. Not only how I was doing as a minister, but as a measuring stick of who I am. Did I hit the mark or did I miss the mark? I'm guessing that you've had your moments in that too, in some way or another. Sometimes I feel like I'm just not good enough. You know, it's so easy to look at other people and see how good they are and, and just be amazed at how well, how well they are. But yet at the same time, I can look at myself and I know my own personal struggles. Things that continue to make every effort to creep back into my life that I thought I had victory over, but it just it keeps making its way back, and I keep fighting battles over and over to try to get them out. Sometimes I, even, I catch myself in prideful moments, realizing that my path in life has been easier than, than some others, and I don't have some of the struggles that they do. It especially happens to me sometimes when I, I look at the news, where I can look and, and, and I find myself maybe judging other people. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a Pharisee who would, 
Jesus said, would pray things like this. Thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. We all know areas in our lives that we fall short, or at least imagine that we fall short. These things Satan uses to beat us down in an effort to remove us from the grace of God. Sometimes in my life, I I really do struggle with these things, and I'm fairly certain I'm not the only one, but here's the thing. When we're insecure and we're in that situation, a lot of times we do feel like we're the only one. We feel separated and we feel alone. It's so easy to, to live our lives in an effort to get the applause of those who are around us or to just see our own shortcomings when we aren't working when, and when we aren't walking towards the path of Christ. We need to find our compass. We need to redirect ourselves. We need to keep our eyes on him and walk to him and tune out all the things around us. In John chapter 8, there's this amazing story of the Pharisees who catch this woman in the act of adultery. And I'll let you guess on how maybe they caught her in that act of adultery. I don't know. But I do find it interesting that what they do is they find her And they drag her through the streets from her most embarrassing moment, and they take her to the most holy place on earth for two reasons. Number one, it is the temple, a very holy place in the Jewish belief. Uh, This is is the place where God dwells, but it really is the place where God dwells in this moment because Jesus is there. Jesus has been there, and they are taking this woman to go see Jesus, because you know what? They feel like they can trap Jesus. They know that in in the Jewish legal system that they have every right to stone this woman because she has has committed adultery. They've caught her. and, um, And so the legal system is that they have the right to do this. But yet at the same time, they know, they've seen the heart of Jesus and they know that Jesus loves people such as this. And so what they're really doing, I find this interesting, is there's a comparison game going on. What they're doing is they're looking at this woman, they're saying, man, we're so much better than her. But they also look at Jesus and they see that they have never, ever been able to catch him in sin. And so they're going to take this woman and they're going to take her to Jesus and try to catch him up so they can finally feel good about themselves. That's what we do sometimes, right? In our insecurities, we try to bring other people down too. So we can feel better about ourselves. And they're, they're feeling morally insuperior to Jesus. And so they're trying to catch him in this moment. But here's what I love is what Jesus does is even though he knows legally in the Jewish system that they have the right to stone this woman, he also knows something else. That it is the person who is, um, the person who is, the person who is, um, free of sin because of this act, and who is um, not, I'm trying to think of the word here, who is not uh, caught up into having an impure motive in doing this, that is the one who is actually able to cast the first stone. And Jesus knows that they are not. They have caught her in the act of adultery, which means that they have impure motives in this whole thing. And so Jesus, as he uh, gets down and he writes into the, into the sand, and I don't know what he writes, but as he writes into the sand, he says to them, you who, is, who are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, the stones drop, because Jesus is the only one there who has the right to cast the first stone. It reminds me of a scripture 
It says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. And so Jesus, the only one who had the right to cast the first stone, chose grace instead. Those struggles of comparison are very real human struggles, aren't they? They're struggles waged in our minds and in our hearts. In Romans 12, 2, it says this, Don't copy the patterns, the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what we need Jesus to do, is, right, is to change our minds, to change our thinking. We are, you and I are who we th- what we think about. All of our thought processes, all of our worldviews, human actions, they all come from our mind. It is in our minds that our emotions are stirred. It is in our minds that our wills are directed. The things that we, f- that we focus on create a reaction in our lives that guide our lives. It is because of this that it is immensely important for us to think about the right things and to think about all things in the right perspective. Paul understood these struggles. He, he possibly more than anybody understood the war that wages inside the, the mind. He luckily chose to give us a guidebook of how we can navigate through these waters. I'd like to have you turn to Philippians chapter 4, and it's going to be up on the screen. And this is really where we're going to be finishing up the rest of our time here is, is dissecting some of this scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and, and we're going to start with 4, four through 7. And here's what it says. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is what we want, right? We want peace and joy. In a life of insecurities and struggles, what we want and what we need is peace and joy. And Paul gives us a direction here. He says, start by disengaging from the world and begin by talking with God. By recalibrating the compass of our lives and of our hearts, it's in living in Christ Jesus and not in the affections of the world that we truly find stability and freedom. But to get a full understanding of how to have this proper way of thinking, we need to keep on reading. Let's look at verse 8 here. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I want to tell you a simple statement, but one that I think is very powerful when you think about it. What we fill our minds with is what fills our minds. I know it seems stupid, but what we fill our minds with is what fills our minds. It's the idea of if you have a cup here and you have a you put it under the faucet and it's a consistently fresh flowing faucet. It's continually being filled and it overflows. And you try to introduce something else to it, it constantly comes back out because it's continuing to be filled by good fresh water. And this is what Paul is telling us. He's saying, fix your minds on that which is good. It will continue to push out some of the other things. 
I find it amazing here that in a culture that we live in right now, we, we hear many times, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. And yet, sadly enough, we are living in a world with plenty of mental health issues and fragmentation in our society. Yet Paul is direct here in saying, let me tell you what to think about. A mindless wandering of our brains is a very dangerous thing, but a directed mind focused on the righteous things of God produces righteous thinking and righteous living. I want to unpack this scripture a little bit. Let's, let's pick it apart a little bit here. It says, Paul says, whatever is true, think about whatever is true. This statement assumes that there are things that are true and not relative. This is not necessarily a popular opinion today. Barna came out with a study that states that even among Christians, more than half at least hold some aspects of relativistic worldview. Relativism states that what's true in one circumstance may not necessarily be true in another circumstance. For instance, if I lie in this circumstance, it might not be okay, but in this circumstance, it's different. It might be okay. And I tell you what, what that really does is it makes life more confusing. Relativism changes expectations, is changing expectations, directionless plans, emotional instability, and the constant confusion of me trying to reevaluate reality because it's constantly changing. If I am constantly gauging my standing in life based on other people or changing societal views and comparing myself to other people around me, that I'm going to constantly be at stress, I'm going to constantly feel insecure, and I will regularly be feeling alone in this journey called life. Gene Veith explains the hopelessness of this in a quote that I got from him uh, about a postmodern girl that he talked to, and here's what she said. I belong to the blank generation. I have no beliefs. I belong to no community, tradition, or anything like that. I am lost in this vast, vast world. I belong nowhere. I have absolutely no identity. It sure does seem to echo some of the, the sounds that we hear in our culture with rising depression, suicide, and abuse. We live in a society where the storyline, sadly, is normal to hear of people going into a place, shooting others, and then turning the gun on themselves. And I think, to some degree, that's because of a relativistic mindset to some degree. However, truth cuts through all this and gives us a firm standing. And that's what Paul tells us to focus on, is to focus on things that are true, things that God says and that are firm now and forever. He says then, whatever is honorable, focus on what is honorable. Things that are worthwhile and things that are not trivial. I also think we live in a culture not to get on, down on culture, but w that is really good at getting offended. Have you guys ever felt that way? Like, we are real, like we're practicing, we're fine-tuning the art of getting offended. Like, we're really good at it. And in fact, I think many people are looking for ways to get offended. We focus so much on things, I'd say we focus so much on the trash that we really forget what things we should really be focusing and valuing in our lives. Paul is saying, focus on the things that are worthwhile and not all the trash. Stop getting offended at everything. There are things to get offended about. But learn what those things are. 
Learn what is worthwhile and focus on what is honorable. He says, focus on whatever is right and pure. Not just things that are merely profitable, quick, or convenient, but things that are right and morally pure. It's the choice to not choose the things that just produce immediate gratification, but to choose the things that are praiseworthy. These ideals should be exemplified and encouraged and held up as examples of righteousness. Selflessness is a key attribute in this, to to remove ourselves from the picture and not think about what we gain out of things, but to have pure and right motives in our life and in our service and in our love. Knowing and seeking what is right and pure will save you from compromising, from making mistakes that you could, you could avoid. When I was a kid, I was always uh, terrified of, uh, of making a bad decision in many cases. I, I, I loved my parents. I loved my mom. And I was always afraid of letting her down. And so I would imagine scenarios where I might uh, be caught up in. And I would imagine how I would answer in those scenarios to help make a choice that was right and pure. And that's really what we need to do. It is impossible to remain completely pure of mind in a world where sinful things happen daily. However, it is in purity of heart that we choose to recoil at the disgustingness of sin instead of rejoicing in it. And lastly, he he says here, whatever is lovely and admirable. As I mentioned before, we live in a culture that is very good at getting offended. It's like we're looking for ways to be divided and frustrated. The root of lovely is that which produces love and encourages love. Paul is saying that we need to focus on things that will bring love through grace and peace. It is so easy to compare ourselves to others and view ourselves on the basis of competition instead of coming together and realizing that we have all been blessed in the graces of Christ, that none of us deserve what we have, but we have been blessed and so what that does is allowed us, allows us to have equal footing amongst each other. To be able to celebrate in each other's lives when good things happen. And to be able to grieve and sacrificially support those who are struggling. Focus on what brings love. Paul then completes his thoughts by telling us how to help these things take root. And it's verse 9 here. And here's what he says. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. And what he's saying here is that if you really want these things to take root, if you want your lawn to start looking the way it should, put these things into action. Make them a regular part of your daily lives. Let me go back to this image of our lawns again, okay? It's so easy to see brown spots and the the, the issues that you have in your lawn. But there's this one moment that I just absolutely love every year. It's this moment where I get up and I go and open up the blinds, I open up the curtains, and there's white everywhere. It's awesome. Because you know what? I no longer am comparing my lawn to my neighbor's lawn. Because our lawn looks exactly the same. In fact, it's cool because... If I catch it early enough, I see it all without tracks, without dirt, without blemish. It's much like the grace of God. Both my neighbor's yard and my yard looks exactly the same. There's no competition. There's no judgment. In fact, one of my favorite things, I just feel free. I just go out sometimes and play in it. 
take my boys out. Soon Judah's going to be able to have a snowball fight, and I'm not planning on taking it easy on him. (laughs) There's freedom, there's peace, and there's joy in God's grace. The greatest thing is that this is also what God sees. He looks at how Christ has covered us, and he sees us becoming, being pure and beautiful like the snow. Set your minds on things that are pure and beautiful as well. The one thing that has the power to change comparison, the comparison mindset, is when we realize that the creator of the universe, the most powerful and important being, chooses to give his own blood, the most important and valuable commodity of all, for me, one who is not deserving. He is choosing to place value upon me, when the one in charge of everything chooses to give his life for mine, that places value on me that cannot be taken away by what anybody says or thinks or what I think about myself. Because God has placed that value upon me. My life turns from trash to treasure. Dirty spots covered in grace. So now there's no use in comparing grass anymore. It's already been covered. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for loving us, for the gift of your son, and Lord, help us to put into practice proper thinking. Lord, I I know at least me, I can get so distracted on daily life and everything else going on that I I have a hard time seeing you sometimes in the the daily things. And so Lord, help me to, to take this into practice and remove myself from the world and be spending time in prayer and focusing on things that are pure instead of the things that just frustrate me. Lord, help me to take my eyes off of myself and other people and see you and see you in other people. Help me to serve with pure motives and to love you. Lord, I pray that for even every one of us here and I thank you for this time that we're able to get together and to worship you today. In Jesus' name.